In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis from all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. We journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution want to take a minute to thank our subscribers. Because of your support, we were able to make this podcast available to everyone. Our reporting and local journalism is because of subscriber support of our newspaper. If you are not a print or digital newspaper subscriber, join us. Go to AJC.com and sign up today. Thank you, and continue to follow our reporting in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and online at AJC.com. And today we are joined by Patricia Murphy, a political reporter for the AJC. Patricia, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. It's been quite quite the few days. Um, you know, going, so just two days. Yeah, it feels like a lot longer. It feels like a lot longer. We've gone from um, Vice President Pence being in Georgia on Friday in Savannah to President Trump's big rally in Valdosta to a debate watched by millions. The only debate that we we, we expect to be the only debate in the, in the Georgia Senate race. Uh, one was a kind of bizarre <laughs> one candidate debate, if you can call it that, slash monologue. And uh, conversation, I guess, with 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 both panelists, and the other was a uh, a traditional a two candidate showdown, um, and then all the all the aftermath of that. So it's been quite the uh, quite the weekend. You could probably write a book about just this weekend in Georgia. Yes, exactly. Um, and Pence was actually in Atlanta before Savannah. Yes. He came to the CDC, and you and I both did pool duty. So I had him in Atlanta, and then handed him off to you in Savannah. Um, and uh, then you went over to Valdosta, and then we both wrote the campaign, or we both wrote the um, debate story Saturday night, and then you rolled straight into hosting that debate, or not hosting, but moderating it, and it was on CNN and Fox and C-SPAN, and I think just about everywhere. I mean, it was everywhere. I was nervous for you, <laughs> but you weren't nervous. <laughs> you know, I really wasn't. Um but it's weird. This whole the whole this whole thing has been strange because we've been doing TV hits, you know, pretty much daily, multiple times every day from our living rooms, right? Because of the pandemic, 
Um, from your living room. But wait, wait, we have to stop because I think you made uh, TV history, at least my TV history, when you did a live hit from the front seat of your car. Um, <laughs> and Room Raider rated it as a room because it has upholstery and air conditioning. <laughs> and that made my day. I love that. And then from now on, I feel like I should be able to do hits from my front seat as well. So I feel like you have, um, you've uh, forged a new path for everybody who's doing this. So thank you in advance. <laughs> <laughs> so, so a little context on that. I was in Savannah on Friday. I drove from John Ossoff's event in Kennesaw on Thursday to Savannah that night. Spent the night over in Savannah. Woke up and had a few, I think it was three TV hits in the morning uh, that I did just from the hotel. And um, MSNBC asked me to go on in the afternoon. Um, and uh, I think it was around 5.30 and Mike Pence's event was at 3. So I said, oh, okay, there'll be plenty of time to get back to somewhere. And I was going to go to a friend's house um, uh, to use his his house as the setting. Um, well, anyway, Mike Pence's event got delayed for a tragic reason. Um, one of Kelly Leffler's aides, who's also basically a, a family member to, to, to Governor Kemp, um, died. And so there was a little delay uh, in, in the vice president speaking, which was completely understandable. Um, so it didn't really end until right before my hit. So I just told them, hey, I can do it from the front seat or I can I can uh, not do it at all. And they said, do it from the front seat. And and honestly, it was not the first hit I've done from from my car. I did one. I did another one for NBC uh, election week, like two days after the election from from the front seat of the car. So not a first <laughs> Uh, but at first, I've gotten Room Raider, and my wife joked because I've gotten two other Room Raider scores. I got a like a nine, and I got a um, and that was when my daughter got in the background, and I got like a f- six or a f- seven or something. Um, and my wife joked that the, my car got better rating <laughs> than 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 my uh, than my house did in the in the six or the five or six. Right, rating she said it's time to redecorate when that's what happens. So. Time to redecorate, exactly. So. So it's been quite the whirlwind. Yeah, moving on. Saturday, President Trump comes to Georgia. And as he comes, um, a couple things break. First thing in the morning is we find out what we thought was to be true, which was Governor Kemp was not going to be there. Um, And we already figured he wasn't going to be there because he had been attacked attacked relentlessly by by President Trump for defying his demands to call a special section to illegally overturn the, the results of the election. Um, which, as he and constitutional law and, and all sorts of other experts have said, can't be done under state or federal law. You cannot impose the you can't you can't uh, swap out the the will of the voters for the the will of a Republican controlled legislature. Um, and then, secondly, um, we found out that uh, not only um, was the president tweeting his anger at the governor, but he was also calling the governor and venting his outrage. Yes. And I think not just venting his outrage, but saying, we need you to get involved. We need to have you uh, find a way to appoint some different electors instead of the guys and uh, the men and women who are going to be choosing Joe Biden in the Electoral College, Um, which is just a a monumentally um, unusual, um, and some people have said, um, you know, bordering on illegal thing to do. Um, so it wasn't just calling Kemp to say, I can't believe this has happened. It was calling Kemp to say, I need you to get involved here. And, um, Governor Kemp has had this request made of him before by the president and he again turned him down. Um, so I felt like president Trump came into Georgia 
red hot. He had already been kind of rage tweeting at Kemp uh, before he got on the plane to come to Georgia. And when he got onto the stage, you know, none of us knew what he was going to say. And we didn't even know what kinds of things he was going to say. We didn't know if it would be just about Loeffler and Purdue, because that's obviously job number one for Republicans right now is to get those two reelected. Um, or was the president going to come in and just lose his mind because he is so clearly enraged by what's happening happening and has happened in Georgia? The vote count, the vote recount, the certification, and now the recertification. He has lost Georgia. And we really heard his um, his anger just yeah. when he opened his mouth, just when he opened his right mouth, the mystery opened. was over. Yeah. Yeah. And like when you say none of us knew what he would say, that includes the senators and their campaigns. I mean, if you, there were some really nervous hand wringing about what would happen. This is, a, this was a high stakes weekend between, between President Trump's visit and the debates. Holy crap. Right. And like he could have, they, they were so concerned that he would spend the entire Time and I'm talking about they as in Republican strategists that he would spend the entire time, uh, Trump would spend the entire time talking about his own election grievances and not a word about the senator the senators' campaigns, um, and they they kind of breathed a, heaved a sigh of relief that he didn't spend much time on the senators, but he <clears throat> he gave them a chance to speak and he spent about three or four minutes. Uh, praising them and talking about the need to to win January fifth runoffs before going back firmly to his own uh, election grievances, but at least he gave them the sound bites they wanted. Yeah, he gave them the sound bites they wanted. I think even about thirty minutes into the speech, the thinking was, "Okay, are you going to say anything about Leffler and Purdue? Like, how long is this going to go on?" Um, but he did, and I think he made the case that they wanted him to make, which was. Um, I know these senators. I like these senators. You need to like these senators. Um, it wasn't just, hey, everybody get out and vote, but it was, these are two of my people, uh, you know, to this crowd in Georgia. These are my people. They're your people. And you need to go out and vote for them. Um, and he, he definitely did that. I will say the most telling piece of that rally to me was another unscripted moment. And it wasn't even from the president, but it was when he did call Senator Leffler and Senator Perdue up to speak. And Senator Leffler um, got up there and the, the crowd started chanting, stop the steal, stop the steal. So that was clearly on the minds of that crowd that there still was this fight to be waged. But then when David Perdue got up there, to me, the volume went up, and you'll have to tell me how loud it was, the volume went up immensely when David Perdue started to speak and they started yelling at him, fight for Trump, fight for Trump. And that, to me, for that message to be coming back at those two senators, um, for Leffler the day before the um, her debate with Reverend Warnock, and then also for both of them going into these last final weeks before the runoff, um, hearing thousands of people scream at you, fight for Trump, that is going to be a really difficult image to shake <laughs> for, no matter what they're doing for the rest of this campaign. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And, and to give you a context about how loud it was, I couldn't hear what they were saying. It was so loud. Um, I, I, I struggled. I had to look at, at my, our colleague Tia Mitchell's Twitter feed to figure out what they were saying because from we were all in this like it was at an airport down in Valdosta and the press was in this like kind of giant airport hangar with metal sides and and so everything echoed and it was really just un, 
it was so loud I couldn't tell what the words were being said. That's amazing. Yeah, and we could hear it very distinctly on the TV feed on C-SPAN. I mean, it was just crystal clear fight for Trump. And they it wasn't at Senator Leffler, but it was at Senator Perdue, which I thought... You know, if I were the Purdue campaign, I wouldn't want. I would want to somehow impart to these people just how much David Purdue has done for Donald Trump. He has been the most loyal, except maybe for Kelly Loeffler. I don't know. I can't think of any differences between the two of them about how totally supportive um, those two have been of his policies, of what he has said and done. I can't remember a, a time when either one of them has strayed from him. These are two loyal Trump soldiers. They may not talk the same way. They don't have the same, they obviously don't tweet the same way. And they don't have that same fiery, um, demeanor, especially Senator Perdue, but these are Trump loyalists, especially Perdue. Trump's entire time, Perdue has been by his side. Um, and I don't know how that crowd doesn't know that, but it's, they didn't, they, they seem to be dissatisfied with what Perdue has done so far. Yeah, it's been, it's been really, it's been just bewildering because on both sides, because on, on Democratic side, I keep on getting questions about why are they, why are they running with Trump and why are they so close to Trump and, and why don't they just say that Trump lost the election and, you know, like pragmatically, you know, practically, I understand why they're asking those questions. Democrats are asking those questions. But look, these both, both these senators have completely irrevocably tied themselves to, to Donald Trump. Um, David Perdue for most of the last four years, he was one of the first senators to endorse Donald Trump. It's not like he can just cut ties now. And then, of course, the main, the even bigger reason is they can't afford losing, antagonizing President Trump and, and, and risking even a small portion of the base. And it wouldn't be a small portion of the base if they, if they distance themselves from them. But even if you lose a small portion of the base, they could be in trouble with the dynamics and Georgia's so close. And on the Republican side, it's been really hard to follow all the, the false information, the propaganda, just the, just the social media conspiracy theories uh, about China and about all these things. And, and there, there, there have been a few floating around about, about how uh, Kelly Leffler and David Perdue didn't back up Trump in some private meeting. All this stuff that, that is easily debunked and is just flat out false conspiracy theories, but they're spreading. And it's part, of, part and parcel of um, President Trump's attacks on Governor Kemp for not for not demanding a special session, which he can't do to, to overturn the election results, which would be illegal. Um, and so some of that is, the, is this anger that the Republican senators aren't doing enough to force Governor Kemp's hand or something. It's so crazy how it's just gotten so chaotic with all these moving parts with the two Senate runoffs would be a huge story any day of the year. And then you layer on to that um, the recount and the audit and the close election in Georgia um, it's just made it such uh, such dynamic and um, uh, unsettled footing. And then you add the president's demeanor, demeanor on top of it, just so aggressively going after the top Republicans in the state. And that puts the other top Republicans, these two senators, in this incredibly awkward position because um, Senator Perdue, especially, actually slightly over Performed uh, President Trump. He did better than Trump did in this state. 
but he can't lose any of those Trump voters. He doesn't have that kind of leeway to say, oh, uh, you know, actually, here's what I, here's, here's what I would do. Here's how I think we should handle this. He needs every Trump voter and then some to stay ahead of John Ossoff in the count. And so, uh, it has just become, um, somebody said to both of us over the weekend, a monster of Donald Trump's making. Um, and that's exactly right. And it's like they can't win with him and they can't win without him. And they are really in a, a, a really tight situation here. Um, but David Perdue was ahead in the vote count and s- does have a little bit of room to maneuver, but it's hard to see, um, it's hard to see uh, how it could any, get any more uh, tricky for these two. Yeah, David Perdue won more votes than any other Republican in Georgia history. Um, and Joe Biden has won yeah. more votes so than anyone. you think that would be a place of strength, right? Yeah. You know? Well, and look, that's, that's, and we can get to this in a second, but that's one reason probably why he didn't feel like he needed to do the debate. But before we get there, let's also talk about the, the, the mixed messages that, that, that President Trump offered that meeting. Um, and you had, uh, it's been praised by many people, but you had kind of the perfect headline and lead um, to our story on, on, on the rally. Uh, and tell us about how you, you came. It's just, so, it's just so straightforward. Yeah, well, he started the morning on Saturday, started Saturday um, attacking the presidential results and attacking really the, the electoral process here in Georgia and just raging against it. And then he spent Saturday night trying to get this crowd of thousands of people to go vote in the next election. You know, it's a very, uh, it's not just a difficult message to send. It's just two totally conflicting messages. You can't have a successful get out the vote effort and also at the exact same time be ripping the current electoral process to shreds as rigged, as um, illegal, as incompetent, as everything that could go wrong with a process. The president has said that's the way Georgia is. But by the way, get back out on January 5th. You know, (laughs) it just, it doesn't work that way. Um, And we'll have to see what these uh, Republican voters do. I think that that message that the senators would like to send um, and are sending themselves about unified control in Washington. Actually, they're not quite saying that. They're saying the Democrats want to control all of Washington and they want to enact the social policies. Um, they're not quite saying that it would be unified control of Washington because they haven't quite said that the president lost this election. Yeah. And the headline of that story was at Georgia rally, Trump tells Republicans to vote in rigged election, which which is basically <laughs> the the, uh, the 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 in a nutshell Republican pro- problem here in Georgia, and and yes. I've, I've interviewed just dozens of voters, and of course most Republicans say, especially the Republicans who show up at these types of rallies, say that of course they're going to go vote January fifth, um, but there is an undercurrent of voters who have heard so much abuse about the election system, about Dominion voting machines, about mail-in ballots. So if you're, if, you're the aver- if you're a Republican voter who believes in all these conspiracy theories and you've been told that, yeah, the, the voting machines are flawed because there's, there's faulty algorithms, which, by the way, is completely garbage, right? It's a, it's, it, there's a, it's a bogus theory. But if you've been told that, and then you've also been told that mail-in ballots are rife for fraud and Democrats have abused them and Stacey Abrams and blah, 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 all that, right? 
How do you vote? Well, not only <laughs> what that. Do, what are you supposed to do? Not only that, you have Lynn Wood telling his 700,000 Twitter followers, do not vote. <laughs> you know, it's not just, oh, is your vote going to count? He is saying, don't vote for Leffler and Purdue unless they prove to you that they are fighting for Donald Trump. I, that is so counterintuitive and so harmful um, that to the point, you, you know, they have to somehow show that they're fighting against the system, which they have as federal officials, nothing to do with. Um, and even if they had anything to do with it, the votes are counted, recounted, audited, certified, and certified again. It's over. And what else are these Republican senators supposed to do to satisfy and to feed that anger? Um, I'm not really sure. What it is, is a moving goalpost, right? It was, it was, it was right, after, um, right after the election when um, Senators Perdue and Leffler stunned stunned a lot of people, including me, frankly, by calling for Brad Raffensperger to resign uh, because of uh, you know because he 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 upheld the integrity of the vote, right, and said there was no widespread fraud that 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 would that would amount to overturning the election results. And I and I think a lot of Republicans said, okay, they did what they did and they checked the box. Well, that box keeps on growing bigger, you know, and and so th- now it's become you're not you're not backing Trump's. Uh, you know, claims that of a rigged election that it was stolen from him. You're not telling Governor Kemp to overturn the election results. You're not doing, I don't know, to, uh, taking unspecified action, right? And it's led by President Trump, who who at that rally uh, went after Governor Kemp again. He didn't go after him as much as he has on the Twitter uh, feeds, um, but he did again say he was ashamed of the governor. And to me, the big moment, or one of the big moments of the debate was he uh, at the event was he also um, said, "Hey, Doug Collins, <laughs> you'd make for what do you think about running?" He basically invited Doug Collins, who is Kelly Leffler's arch rival, um, who's since endorsed the senator, but still is out there as a potential 2022 candidate. He invited Doug Collins to run against Governor Kemp two years. Yes, and um, Doug Collins has been kind of a constant presence since he lost to Kelly Loeffler. Um, typically, candidates will do one or two unity rallies and then be on their way to their next uh, station in life. Um, and Doug Collins has been on uh, not officially the legal team, but he's been on the legal messaging team about um, recounting the votes and stopping the steal. Uh, when I was covering um, Mike Pence at the CDC, Doug Collins was at the CDC, and Doug Collins does not represent the CDC in his district. Um, and then he hopped on Air Force Two with Senators Leffler and Purdue to go down to that rally. Uh, uh, well, first the rally in Savannah and then on to the rally um, in in Valdosta. And so we've seen a lot more of Doug Collins than you typically would in the aftermath of essentially what was a primary against Senator Leffler. Um, and it's, it's, it's a presence that seems to be getting uh, pumped up by the president right down to the fact that he said you would be a good looking governor. Um, and for, for Governor Kemp, who was truly going through a family tragedy um, in the state to have the president come to the state and, um, you know, shake the branches like that. It was just, to me, incredibly, um, it was just honestly a little bit disrespectful of the president to do that to Governor Kemp, um, not to mention, obviously, an aggressive move uh, that was meant to be aggressive. I've had so many Democrats 
reach out to me and just say they feel bad. And they, it, like, they'll admit, like, hey, I never thought I'd ever say this, but I feel terrible for Governor Kemp. Um, because here he is. It's one thing for Raffensperger to get attacked because he is this t- state's top election official. Um, but the governor has like very little to do with the actual uh, oversight of, of the election system. Of course, he's the former secretary of state, so he knows the system. But his formal role in the election process in Georgia is very limited. And it's basically he's got to after the, the vote is certified, um, he has to be, sign off on it and, and formally award the state's 16 electors to whatever party won the vote. Right. So he's got a very, very defined, limited role in all this. And yet the president's asking him to do things he can't do. The president's asking him to use his emergency powers to, to, to block the certification of the vote. He doesn't have emergency powers to do that, right? So it's, it's just these, these obscene asks, impossible asks, that even if, even if, the, even if the, the governor completely believed all of the president's conspiracy theories and whatever and wanted to help him, he couldn't legally do this stuff. So he's being asked to make these impossible decisions that he cannot do uh, and then getting dis, just targeted. Um, and I'll and I'll say this: the universe of of the president's enemies here in Georgia has expanded because it's not just Secretary of State Raffensperger and 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 uh, Governor Kemp anymore, but now it's also Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan, who went on CNN, has gone on TV a few times and said the president should move on, the election was fair, but has now gone even further and said, "Look, President Trump, you lost, you lost Georgia." Uh, he has been one of the few Georgia officials who have conceded the president's defeat and said the president's got to got to got to start looking ahead to January 5th and not behind the November and that has earned him all sorts of vitriol from from president Trump including him being called a, a, a corrupt and a puppet and too dumb to realize what was happening all these terrible names a rhino which in republican world is like like even worse insult so all these terrible names and lieutenant governor duncan is is kind of firing back saying keep 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 looking ahead to January don't look behind you yeah, well, um, also speaking of looking ahead to January, you know, once we're into 2021, we're into um, the 2022 election cycle. And you said that you had had some Democrats say they feel bad for Governor Kemp. I've had Democrats tell me they would vote for Governor Kemp and for Jeff Duncan and for Brad Raffensperger. So I don't know how that, that it's not a good sign for how Republicans probably feel about them right now. Um, but we, this is just rolling straight into another, not, not only another election cycle, another legislative session. Um, and this is all just starting to become, you know, almost an avalanche of, of, uh, of news information, disinformation, and it's just shooting us straight into 2021, which is a really, really important time for the state. And, and Patricia, to that point too, whenever I hear Democrats saying they'll vote for Raffensperger or for or for Kemp, I'm also like, well, two years is a long way away, and wait till you hear the the you know they're going to have to put, load out a lot of red meat to the base to to withstand. Uh, primary challenges. So let's wait on that <laughs> until, but I know you know that. Um, so that all leads into the Sunday debate, the 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 first and probably most likely only showdown. Um, I can't imagine uh, another debate happening between now and January 5th, although hopefully I, I might be surprised. Um, but the big showdown, first with Ossoff versus Purdue. Purdue decides not to come. Um, he's did, he, there's, a, there's a couple reasons. Now, the public reason is that he's done a few debates and that he's focused on energizing the Republican 
uh, uh, base right now. Um, now the, the, the more probable reason is that, um, he doesn't feel like he needs to shore up the conservative vote in a way that Kelly Leffler does. And last debate with John Ossoff did not go great for him. John Ossoff, um, capitalized on a viral moment that got more than 14 million views on social media and, uh, appear, you know, at least, at least his supporters had a resounding victory, uh, over, over David Perdue. So I think Senator Perdue felt like he didn't need to, he didn't want to risk another, uh, another uh, showdown with, with John Ossoff. Yeah, I would say, you know, a calculated risk, but probably, um, you know, you can understand why he made that call and he is in you just more of a position of strength because you said um, he got the most votes of anybody on election night um, here in Georgia. Um, I think also there's been a great deal of additional reporting, um, especially out of the New York Times, about Senator Perdue's stock trades uh, since the last debate. And there would have just been an enormous amount of fodder for Ossoff to come after him with. And um, at this point, I think the Purdue people want to just get this election over with, um, you know, before they take on any more water. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you're ahead, you want to just cast the vote. And he has barely faced any questions from the media about those stock trades and about really any, any other, about President Trump, about you name it. He has gone to very safe harbors. He's done a few, let's say, local um, rural radio station interviews. And, and but the vast majority of his interviews have been done with friendly media outlets. Um, Fox News the other night, he did basically a town hall with Laura Ingram, who who asked him the stock question, but in, framed it as, "Hey, this isn't a big deal, is it? You know, that ain't exactly uh, your typical question you'd get from from a from a, a, a neutral reporter about something like you know his stock transactions." We haven't heard him on whether or not he he agrees with the governor's call for sorry the president's call for a special session to overturn the election results or whether or not the vote was rigged all these issues um we have not heard from from David Perdue we haven't even given a chance to ask him about it because even when he does events there are no there are no times to to get a get into a scrum with him afterwards which is basically a, a circle of reporters asking questions whereas Senator Leffler, we had that chance on, on, on Sunday. Yeah, Senator Leffler has been, um, really to her credit, she's been quite um, accessible really throughout the whole campaign. She does a lot of um, gaggles after her events. Um, she did not only this press club debate, she said she would be willing to do more debates. I don't know if that's really going to happen, but she certainly at the time said, hey, I'm happy to debate Warnock any anywhere, anytime. I'm ready. You know, and then and she did do that debate um, and uh, came out, extremely prepared. Uh, she, You could see her game plan. You could hear her game plan. It was to call Raphael Warnock a radical socialist uh, as many times as possible. Uh, I think we counted 14 times. Um, and uh, coming out of it, the coverage of that um, that choice, she was getting some criticism, um, especially on CNN, but they kept repeating the allegation. They said, why do they keep calling? She keeps calling him radical liberal Raphael Warnock. Um, you know, that was really her game plan. She wants to plant this seed in voters' heads. He is not this nice, friendly person who he portrays himself to be in his TV ads. He is 
totally unacceptable. And she went after him very aggressively. Um, And I think he also came back at her pretty aggressively and said, he had a line where he said, you've not only lied about me, you've lied about Jesus. And I mean, those are fighting words. That is, I mean, that I was not expecting him to say that. I've never heard a candidate say that about another candidate, Um, you know, but from, for Warnock to say that about her, you know, that was, uh, he was certainly not going into that debate unwilling to engage and unwilling to uh, to level charges against her as well. And we saw it come from both sides. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because it, would, it was a very different de- debate than what we see in Ossoff and Purdue because both of them are white men and there are, there are less loaded preconceptions about white men than there are of women and, and minorities. And I think that going into it, Reverend Warnock did not want to you know, look like he was overly aggressive to be painted as the angry black man, just like Senator Leffler didn't want to have the same sort of portrayal as the shrill white woman, right? Uh, and th- that it's not fair, but I think that's how they um, they perceived the opening, you know, the, their strategies in this debate. And um, they, they both were very measured and on message, as you mentioned, and particularly Senator Leffler. She got a lot of criticism. People said that she said a robotic because she used the phrase radical socialist so many times. And she also kept on talking about the American dream. And it was, you know, when, when you ask her a point blank question, uh, for instance, at the very end of the debate, I asked her point blank, you know, should, should senators be allowed to trade stocks? Um, and she started talking about the American dream without answering the question. Um, it, it 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 got a lot of mocking, but she also she also still managed to stay on message and avoid the question, which 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 could have I guess been damaging to her. I don't know how, because um, either way, you know she's she's got to have a stance on something like that. Um, but yeah. look, you, she, you also I think you had asked Warnock um, a couple of direct questions as well that he didn't answer. He didn't. You asked him twice if he would um, support court packing or, you know, expanding the number of justices on the Supreme Court. He didn't answer that either time. He said, well, that's just, I'm not focused on that. And I don't hear from that. I don't hear about that on the campaign trail. Um, So he didn't answer that either. Both of them, I think, had been really um, prepped and had the answers that they wanted to give and the answers that they were not going to give. And uh, we saw that uh, from Reverend Warnock as well. Yeah, and they, exactly, exactly. And, and I didn't get a, a direct answer from the Reverend on what, what, um, how big a stimulus package should be. Um, actually, that was Russ Spencer who asked that. Uh, but how big a, a, a stimulus package should be, nor did we get one from Ossoff on that question too, by the way. Um, I, I will say, you know, the back and forth, what, what led all, most of the, the broad majority of the media coverage was, of course, uh, the refusal to say whether or not she thought that President-elect Biden had actually won the election and whether or not she backed President Trump's claims of a rigged election, all whether or not she stood by President Trump's um, every accusation because it is such a problematic question for her. And, of course, she's, I'm sure she, she knew something along those lines were coming. Uh, she's tied herself so closely to President Trump that she can't afford to distance herself from him at all and, and risk alienating his base. So she basically gave the radical liberal answer each time, even when we pressed her repeatedly. And I've gotten some feedback, you know, why couldn't you give her a yes or no? Well, she got two yes or no's about it, <laughs> including one from Reverend Warnock saying yes or no, did President-elect 
uh, Biden win the election? And she didn't answer it. We can't force them to answer the questions as much as, as we want to sometimes. We just have to ask the questions. But it made for some interesting TV. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. And congratulations on getting through it. <laughs> <laughs> we survived. Well, Patricia, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time. Uh, and stick with us. We've got a lot more news coming from the campaign trail. Well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. And as always, thank you for listening. Hip hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song. A celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-Hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.